Hello everyone and welcome back to the Underground Mess Hall, Finn McHale here. Today we've got this week's episode review for the Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 3, The Streets of Mos Espa. We've got another shorter episode to go into, but it's nonetheless interesting and adds to the mystery of the underworld dealings going on in Mos Espa. We start this episode off with 8D8 telling Boba what happened under Bib Fortuna's rule. We find that because Bib didn't hold a candle to who Jabba was really, he maintained control over Jabba's holdings with treaties and partitioning Mos Espa. The Trandoshans took the city center, the Aqualish took the workers' district, and the Clutunians took the starport and upper sprawl. Bib also maintained this control and tributes by lining Mokshai's pockets. 8D8 also says that the city is waiting to see what Boba will do. At the same time, Boba and Fennec ponder who hired the assassins. Fennec thinks that Mok doesn't have any real power, which leads her and Boba to believe the Huts did. They get interrupted by a man named Lorth Appeal, who asks for a petition to Boba. He claims that a gang who have upgraded themselves with droid parts have stolen water from him. Peel also mentions that this has never happened under any of the other daimyos, and that there is chaos in the streets. Boba is oddly intrigued by this, and says that this is new to him. Peel says that he feels disrespected at the assassination attempt, and that the gang's actions are further disrespecting him. Boba bites at this chance and goes to the workers' district in order to not only deal with the cyborg gang, but to also assert his rule. When he, Fennec, and the Gamorreans get there, the streets are relatively empty, and they get into a soft argument with Boba. Boba claims that they need to give the water back, while their leader, a girl with a droid arm named Drash, says no one respects Boba. This prompts Boba to tell them to watch it, as he's the new daimyo, and he is here to administer order. Drash talks him off as another crime boss, and then one of the other boys asks him why they're being charged a month's worth of water for a week's worth. This prompts Boba to ask them why they don't get work, especially since they live in the workers' district. The other girl says that there is no work and to look around. Boba then takes off his helmet and offers him an opportunity to work for him. Peel comes around the corner after this, mad that he hasn't punished them. It's obvious that not only did Peel want them to be killed most likely, but also wants to keep hiking his water prices up. Boba asks how much in credits was stolen, which Peel says was about 1300 Boba says he can have 500 not even half of what was stolen. Peel begins to protest, but Boba just calmly responds to him by saying, he can move to Mos Eisley if he has a problem. Boba also tells him to cut his prices. It's ironic how Peel sent him to deal with a problem, and Boba made it a way to solidify his power. I also feel that it shook Peel, as Boba now has more muscle and more reach over Mos Espa. This also indicates how far forward Boba looks at problems and what he can do with them. We then cut back to Boba in his healing pod, and instead of initially going back to his memories of his Tuscan era, we get a brief glimpse of Boba on Kamino, watching his father Django, leaving the Slave One for a mission, presumably. After that, we get back to the Tuscan era for Boba Fett. We see that he is leaving the tribe on a bantha. At first when I watched this scene, I thought this was him actually leaving the tribe. I was wrong, but I ended up being right about something I guessed could have happened in the last review. Before we get to that though, we see that Boba is visiting the Pike Syndicate to talk about his demands after having stopped the hypertrain. The Pike representative says that protection agreements are a common thing in the Outer Rim. Boba thinks this means he'll get the payment, but the Pikes say they're not going to pay more than one party after talking with their bosses on Obadiah. Boba says that the Tuscans are one party. Then the Pikes have another gripe saying that the Kinton Striders already took a toll. 
Bubba says that he'll take care of them. As Bubba reaches the camp, he sees columns of smoke. Unfortunately, I called it in my last review that the tribe might be killed off, and that's what we see happen. Bubba finds the young kid and the chief's bodies and is upset. He honors them and disposes of their bodies. However, before he does this, we see a symbol of the gang that appeared in Chapter 1. I won't discuss it now, but I will towards the end. This memory scene gets interrupted in one of the scariest scenes in all of Star Wars. We see that the back to healing pod is opened abruptly by Black Kersantan. Kersantan throws Boba out of the pod and they start fighting. Kersantan is just a beast as we see him take blows from the Badurfi staff and won't fall. We also see that he appears to have built-in knuckle dusters into his hands. Oh, and by the way, he can charge the dusters up with energy. Also, Kersantan sounds more like a rampaging Sasquatch with his roars than a Wookiee during all of this. Before Kersantan can finish him off, the cyborg kids, I'm going to call them the Enforcers from now on, show up to save him. He shrugs off their attacks as well, which include energy nunchucks, blaster bolts, and knife stabs in the back. The Gamorreans come in to help and end up leading Kersantan into the throne room. The Gamorreans get injured, with one of them even being bitten, and Kersantan is surrounded by the Enforcers. Fennec shows up and opens a trap door, and Kersantan gets trapped. Good lord, was this scary. Kersantan not only showed that he looked like a badass, but he showed it here with his actions. We see that the next day, Fennec and Boba are eating a banquet. Fennec tells Boba to enjoy, but he's concerned with sending a message. Fennec says they already have with capturing the Wookiee. Boba talks about not waiting while dealing with the Huts, and 88 shows up saying that the twins are here. Boba and Fennec meet the twins at the front of the palace with Kersantan. The brothers say that they're here to apologize. Excuse me, not the brothers, the brother. The sister admits that they sent Kersantan to kill him, and the brother says that they have a gift as well. I kid you not, it's a Rancor, and his keeper is Danny Trejo. Boba says that he'll take the Rancor as part of a truce and to get off Tatooine. The twins say that they don't want war, and that they are going back to Nalhutta. They also tell Boba that Kersantan is their tribute to him. Boba says he'll take them if they back off their claims for Jabba's holdings. This is where the twins get really cryptic. They say that they were lied to, and Jabba's holdings are already under a different syndicate. They also say that they consider selling Kersantan back to the gladiator pits, and that Boba should leave Tatooine as well. Boba ends up freeing Kersantan at the end of all this. I was really excited, because I thought Boba was going to give him a job, but he didn't. After this, we see Boba meet with the new Rancor and the Handler in the Rancor Lair. This is really interesting as we find out a lot more about Rancors. So the Handler tells Boba that this one was bred for fighting, but they're emotionally complex. We also find out that this one is a calf and the blinders that are on him are because it will imprint on the first person it sees. The Handler is also there to train it for fighting. The Handler also tells us that not only are they peaceful until threatened, but bonding with them will actually be good. Boba decides to bond with it and has the blinders taken off. The Rancor is very peaceful and appears to accept Boba. Boba also wants to learn to ride it after hearing the witches of Dathomir were rumored to have been able to. This gets interrupted when 88 says that Mokshai's appointments are full for the next 20 days. Boba isn't having any of this and tells Fennec to suit up. Boba, Fennec, and the Enforcers go to the mayor's office. And the Major Domo appears to work with Boba? However, because he is slimy, once he goes into the mayor's chambers, he locks the door. Fennec breaks the lock open, and we see that no one's in the chambers. 
We see the Major Domo try to run away in a speeder car, and the Enforcers give chase on their hover bikes. We get to see some of the droid upgrades the Enforcers have while they're chasing him, such as a hydraulic leg and foot, as well as a small plasma wrist blade. They are able to stop the Major Domo, and he says that the Mayor is with the Pike Syndicate and is working with them. So the final part of the chapter, we see a Starliner drop off some travelers and about a dozen Pikes. One of the Enforcers, the one with the droid eye and one of the two guys, goes out for recon and reports back to Boba what he found. Boba and Fennec discuss how the Pikes are here for war, and Boba says that they will be prepared. Wow, even though this was a short episode, we got a lot of twists and new discussions going forward into next week. So, first things first, Miramok shies and who really hired the assassins. I'm not really sure now. However, even though Mokshai said that the Order of the Nightwind isn't allowed to operate outside a hut space, the fact that the twins came back and were trying to claim Jabba's holdings meant that it's possible that whatever was going on on now Hutta, no one knew that Tatooine was under the Pike Syndicate. At least that's from what I'm getting at. That's probably the most likely thing that occurred, and that's why the Huts don't want to deal with it. And speaking of the Huts and the Twins, it might seem weird that they appear to be telling the truth. However, when it comes to the Huts, when something is bad for business, especially like war, even though they could fight, they'd rather not. And this is the general premise of how the underworld in Star Wars works. They don't like to draw attention to themselves. Which is why when someone comes up and tries to unify a bunch of families, it does shock the system. And this is why the families like to stay separate, but kind of work together. And so, I personally think that to a certain extent they are being honest. Because, especially at the end of the episode with the Pikes coming in, and seeming to try and oust Boba, which is what I'm getting. At least from what we're being shown, it makes sense that the Huts don't want to deal with it right now. So the next thing I do want to talk about is the gang. I didn't bring it up in my first chapter review for the Book of Boba Fett because I didn't know how quickly we would get to the next showing of this gang and their symbol. And that's because when the second episode dropped, Chapter 2, we had a lot of twists and turns. You know, the twins showed up, Garza Whip showed back up, we met the mayor, we learned about the Order of the Nightwind and that they can't operate in hut space. And that was one of the things is that I didn't know where anything was going. But I do want to talk about it here. So I don't know who they work for, but their symbol looks like two J's like mirroring each other where like you have the regular J, but then you mirror that back. I'm really interested to know who they work for and why they killed the Tuscans. It's possible that they work for the Pikes, but I'm not exactly sure yet. Before we get into the Pikes, one other thing I want to talk about is Black Kersantan and how he's now a wild card. Like I said, I'm really surprised that Boba didn't offer him a job when he did with the Enforcers early on in the chapter. However, it's possible that because this was a business dealing, he didn't want any conflict of interest. And so maybe Black Kersantan will show back up, which would be really cool, and I hope he does. But now that he's out there and we've seen the punishment he can take and dish out, it's really scary to think about where he could go. Maybe the Pikes will pick him up. Speaking of them. So, at the beginning of the chapter, when AD8 is talking about the partitioning of Mos Espa and everything, 
He also mentions that there was a power vacuum when Jabba died and the barge incident. And something I think might have happened is there were either two, which I don't think is necessarily true, or it was a much larger power vacuum than people realized because we have the twins that are like, yeah, we don't want to be here. And then they're suggesting Boba to get off the rock. I think the Pikes swooped in very stealthily because to my knowledge, the Pikes didn't really have any major holding in Tatooine. This also leads me to believe that why would Mock claim that Tatooine is not in Hut space anymore? I think he was trying to cover his tracks and appear to be amenable to Boba Fett. It makes sense because in this regard, Mock is basically saying, well, the Pikes are here, but we don't know that yet until you watch this episode. So with that understanding, it's now, oh, that's why he said the Order of the Nightwind isn't welcome here because no one really knows except for a handful of people that Tatooine is no longer in hut space. I think that's what's going to happen. Now, the last thing I do want to talk about, flashbacks to the Tuscan era. I don't know if we're going to get any more. If we do, it's probably going to be Boba Fett's solo. But other than that, this has been a Bandolier Corps production. Finn McHale, signing out.